our dear Heavenly Father, you are a God of sight. You see what we cannot see, and you share it with us in a way that we can see. And so our dependence is upon you. Open the eyes of our understanding we can partner with you in ways that have eternal value. In Jesus' name, amen. King David was a man whose life had remarkable highs and insufferable lows. There was a day when he struck down the Philistine champion, a man that no one believed could be beaten. And when he struck down the Philistine champion, he ran up to him, drew the Philistine's sword, and beheaded him with his own sword. And in my imagination, I see David turn around and look at the Israelite army, raise the sword in one hand and his fist in the other, and roar. And then I see the entire Israelite army jump up out of their foxholes and they all roar. And the army they believed could not be beaten, that day they were so inspired by David that they charged and drove them from the field. What a day that was for him. He was a national hero. He did what no one believed could be done. But there was another day in David's life when the prophet Nathaniel said to him, you are the man. And he was crushed by the weight of his own sin. He was so crushed, he threw away all his kingly dignity. He didn't care who was watching, and he threw himself on the floor in repentance. And he laid on the floor in prayer for 24 hours, refusing, refusing to do anything but repent. We read David's heart in the Psalms. We read him at his greatest joys, and we read, we read him in his deepest anguish. It's easy to see why God would say, David was a man after God's own heart. It's easy to see why God favored David. In fact, God favored David so much, he sent a prophet to him and said, if your sons will walk in my way, I promise you, one of your descendants will rule in Israel forever. And then David grew old and passed the king, kingdom to his son Solomon. 
Solomon was a very different man than his dad. Solomon grew up uh, with his dad being king. And when your dad is king, you just have a different kind of life. Um, and the self-indulgence that he learned as a child came back to haunt him as an adult. He actually got it in his head that he could be, there was enough man in him to marry 700 wives and 300 concubines. You got an ego problem, dude. <laughs> and as he grew old, these 700 wives and 300 concubines learned how to manipulate him. And it wasn't long before Solomon, the son of David, the man after God's own heart, was building temples to disgusting pagan deities. A temple for Baal here. A fertility grove for Ashtoreth there. A temple for Isis here. The child-murdering god Molech had a temple. Uh, uh, Solomon broke the first command where God said, you have to love me so much, you don't have room in your heart for any pagan deities. And then Solomon grew old and died. And he left the kingdom to his son, Rehoboam. If Solomon grew up spoiled, Rehoboam grew up spoiled rotten. This young man had no idea of reality. And before the nation would recognize him as king, they said, meet us at Shechem. If you look at the back of your Bible, uh, you'll find an, a map of Israel, and Shechem's north of Jerusalem. It's about in the middle of Israel, the easiest place for all of the 12 tribes to gather. And they met him there, and they said, before we acknowledge you as king, we want, we want to negotiate. They said, your dad was a great man, and he built the temple, and he built, uh, he built palaces, and he built halls, and he built uh, um, uh, great fortified cities, but we did all the work. Now, we want to renegotiate this. We want you to agree that we can spend more time developing our own farms and businesses and less time doing state projects. And Rehoboam said, well, let me think about that. Come back in three days, and I'll give you my answer. 
During those three days, Rehoboam sat down with his father, Solomon's advisors. These were men who had been in the, the king's government uh, to up to 40 years. They were very experienced in uh, the, the political uh, culture of their day. And Rehoboam said, the people want me to uh, do less state projects and allow them more time for their own businesses. How should I answer them? And these advisors of Solomon said, this is your opportunity, Rehoboam. If you will have a soft spirit toward them, if you will be their servant today and you will speak to them good words, they will respond well and they'll, they'll be willing to be your subjects. But if you have it in your head, you can be harsh to them, you're going to lose everything. Well, Rehoboam didn't like that answer because he was arrogant. He was entitled. He couldn't even believe that people would ask him such a thing. So because he didn't like the answer of the, uh, the mature counselors, he called in his peers, the knuckleheads he grew up with, who were just as spoiled as he was. And he said, how do you think I should answer the people? And the young advisor said, don't listen to those old men. They don't know what they're talking about. They said, you say to these people, my little finger will be thicker than my father's thigh. If you think my father laid a yoke on you, my yoke will be heavier than his. And my father disciplined you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. And wouldn't you know, that answer sounded right to Rehoboam. That answer, somehow or another, met the way he felt in his own heart. And so when the people came back together, uh, they all gathered together and everybody was standing there and, and everybody was saying, uh, what, what, what's Rehoboam going to say? When the crowd quieted, The king answered the people harshly. He forsook the counsel of the old men, and he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men. He said, "My father," he said, um, uh, "My father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions." So the king did not listen to the people. There was a moment 
when he had the opportunity to treat people well and win their favor. But because of his own ego, because of his own sense of grandeur, because of his own sense of entitlement, he spoke to them harshly. He insulted them. He demeaned them. And he split the kingdom. David's family ruled one son after him over the entire kingdom of Israel. And when his grandson came to the throne, it split the kingdom. Ten tribes left Jerusalem and the, and the uh, kingdom of David, and they went and started a new kingdom called it Israel. The people looked at uh, Rehoboam, and they just shook their head. And this is what they said. What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the sons of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. House of David, look after yourself. There are moments in history where you don't get a second chance. It turns out life is kind in a lot of ways, but sometimes we don't get a second chance. Rehoboam had one chance to get it right, and because of his arrogance, because of his sense of entitlement, because something that was deeply flawed within himself, he did the worst possible thing he could do by treating people poorly. I don't know about you, but I see parallels between Rehoboam and the church. I have uh, met very few people who said to me, I stopped going to church because I don't like God. I've met very few people who said, I stopped going to church because I don't think God is loving. But I've met thousands of people who said, I stopped going to church because the people there didn't treat me right. Church? It matters how we treat people. I don't want to give you the impression that you can please everyone. You cannot please everyone. But it doesn't mean that you can't speak to people in a kind and loving and Christ-like way. I'm not saying every decision you make will suit other people. I am saying even when the decision doesn't suit them, we can treat them with a sense of kindness and, and a sense of uh, loving them the way Christ wants them to be loved. Can you hear me, church? We have a vision for being a church that makes a big difference in the world. We have a vision for being strong in communities where we start campuses, for being influential for good through things like Love Week. We have a vision for being a, 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 a 
a worldwide influence for God. And uh, uh, we're expressing that right now through our connection with the New Hope uh, Orphanage in Uganda. If we want to be on Christ's team and we want to make a difference in the world, it matters how we treat people. We cannot be a Rehoboam church. Can you hear that? We cannot be a Rehoboam church. Nothing is more attractive, nothing is more attractive about Christ than his unconditional love. If we're going to attract people to Christ, we have to have a profound influence in our own souls by Christ's unconditional love, and we have to be loving toward others. Church, the way we attract people to the excellence of Christ is by showing them kindness, by being gentle with them, by going the extra mile with them, by forgiving them when they need to be forgiven, and by never giving in to the ugliness, the rudeness, and the harshness that is so common in our generation. We want to, uh, we want to attract people to the excellence of Christ. I'm thinking of old Brooklyn this morning, Katie and old Brooklyn. Katie's leading the campus to meet the needs of the community by adding a bilingual service. That is a, uh, that is a, a neighborhood that has a, a, a good many uh, uh, Spanish-speaking people, and, and we want to show our love for Christ to that community by uh, making it easier for them to understand the service. And so uh, to attract people to the excellence of Christ, we're working right now on a program that will allow every Spanish-speaking person to hear Katie's sermon in Spanish. And I think it's a big deal. We will love people back to Christ by going the extra mile and speaking to them in a way it's easier for them to listen. But it takes more than language, old Brooklyn. It takes uh, uh, treating the people well that God sends to the church. Every person God sends to your campus, no matter what language they speak, the very first responsibility you have to them is to make them feel the presence and the goodness of God. When I think about demonstrating the essence of Christ, I think about our church's elders who meet every single month and spend hours uh, reviewing where we are. What are our trends? What's happening good? What do we have to fix? In our last elder meeting, we looked at statistics for this year. Our church has grown 25% year over year. And because you don't study these things, it makes us one of the fastest growing churches in America. Uh, and when the elders talk about this, we ask ourselves, what are we doing that pushes us so far out of the norm? 
And we generally believe we are getting better and better and better at taking care of the people God sends us. Church, I want all of us to know in every campus, it, God has an expectation that when he sends people here, we're going to greet them with a kind and loving and joyful soul. I want to ask everyone in all of our campuses, I want to ask everyone, if you would make it part of your Sunday uh, 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 ritual to talk a little less to your friends and save a little time to meet somebody in Main Street that you don't know. Uh, uh, we've had Main Street going for 17 years. Nobody's ever been in a fist fight. There's been no biting. Uh, there's been very good behavior. I, I think it is a safe thing to do to just walk up to somebody every single Sunday that you don't know, say hi, and introduce yourself. Church, would, would it create a better community if we treated each other that way, then if we kind of don't make eye contact with anybody and hopefully that we can get out of here uh, at the front of the line uh, before the cop goes home. Um, I believe a Rehoboam church doesn't care about greeting other people in the hallway, but a Christ-like church it means everything in the world. We also believe that God wants us to invite people into the joy of ministry. But you know what I found? The joy is as important as the ministry. I've, got, I've been on volunteer teams where people got grouchy and they put the task ahead of the relationship. Can you hear me? If you're one of those people, stop it. People are volunteering to serve others, and you being grouchy doesn't help. If you feel like being grouchy, get in your car, drive somewhere else, grouch at them, get back in your car, and be nice to everybody else. All right? If we're really, really, really going to make the joy of ministry work, it matters how we treat each other. And it really matters how we treat each other when we're doing something hard and the tension is high. When we're doing something difficult and people feel a little frazzled, that's when it matters the most. The joy of ministry is a commitment that every single one of us will bring our best self and will treat the people around us the way Christ wants them to be treated. The same thing is true in your life groups. Uh, uh, listen, don't be mean to the people in your life group. If you don't like the people in your life group, join another one. Don't be grouchy to the people in your life group. They're just people like you trying to walk with God and, and, and live out their faith. Um, I believe the joy of ministry is especially important for our New Heights campus in Jovan. Uh, we're building a leadership team right now, and this leadership team will make it possible for us to have a thriving new campus. I think some of you should pray, and you should ask God 
would you like to work in my life and use me to be part of the startup team for the new campus? Would you, would, would you just say to God, I'm willing, I'm willing to express the joy of ministry by being the kind of person the new campus can count on for at least two years. Who knows what gift you have that is exactly what that campus needs to have a healthy start. I want to talk about our online campus that Jacob brought up. You might be surprised to know that between, uh, on any given Sunday, we, we have uh, between six and 700 people who watch our service online. That is a big campus. That is the second largest campus we have. And we want to serve them better. We want to offer more than, if you like, you can watch us on Sunday morning. We, we'd like to offer a ministry to these online people. And to do that, we need people who have technological skills to help us build platforms that make it possible for us to speak to all these families in a, in a more encouraging and in a more personal way. I don't want the online campus to feel like they're just hanging out there by themselves. In the very same way I want everybody who comes into one of our buildings to feel connected, I want everyone who watches online to have a sense that we're thinking about them and we're planning ways to serve them better and better. But to do that, we need the skills of some of you that understand technology and social media and all that nonsense. <laughs> uh, as you can see, uh, I'm a generation before that, uh, but I believe in it, I'm committed to it, and, and we need your help. It's going to be a major emphasis in our church next year. But if you would be praying, who knows what God might do through you? Uh, we are absolutely committed to living the adventure of faith. And if we're going to live the adventure of faith, we have to treat people well. Can you hear me? Uh, the adventure of faith is things like Love Week. Love Week is coming up, and we're going to do uh, service projects. Let me tell you about one of them. We have a family in our church who's been here forever. They've been here 41 years. Uh, uh, the dad is in assisted living. Uh, the mom has been a faithful member here. Uh, the kids grew up in the church. Uh, but her house needs some work. It, it, it needs some care. During Love Week, we're going to go over there and, and we're going to make that house as nice as we possibly can. We are going to do our very best job to fix everything that needs to be fixed, to replace everything that needs to be replaced. And the reason we're going to do it is because we love people. We care for people. People matter to us. Now, every time I get around a toolbox, people say, put down the tool and step away. I can't fix this. But some of you are very, very gifted. 
you could make a world of difference. You can look at stuff and know what to do. I look at it and go, it's broke. <laughs> what if you, what if you said, one of the ways I show my love for Christ is by showing my love for his people, and I'm going to be part of making that work. Love Week is trying hard things. I mean, uh, 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 the adventure of faith is trying hard things. We have, um, we have boxes of Bibles for uh, the uh, children at New Hope. And we have Bibles for the adults who teach the children. We, they're, they're, uh, we've got them. The trouble is, it costs like 10 times as much to send the Bibles as it costs to buy the Bibles. We're trying to do hard things, church. We are trying to do hard things. And guess what? Because this is hard, we're not going to quit. We're going to find a way. We're going to figure out a way. One of our elders is talking to a, a shipment company and trying to get them to partner with us on this. We will find a way to help people because we are committed to living the adventure of faith with Jesus Christ. There are enough churches that don't do hard things. God is looking for churches like us who say, if you have a hard job, we want to be on the field playing. I want the ball in my hand when God is doing the hardest things he's going to do on the earth. Will anybody say amen? amen. West Campus. God bless you. You're living the, well, you're living the uh, adventure of faith. Chet is doing an awesome job of leading the West Campus um, to, uh, to, uh, from where they are to a new campus. Can I say this to you, West Campus? It's important how you treat each other while you do this. I want you to know you're building memories as much as you are building a building. In fact, my memories of working with people to build this building are some of my fondest life memories. The meetings we had, the problems we solved, the prayers we prayed, the stress we felt together, all of that bonded us as a church. And uh, 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 West, if you treat each other right, this whole difficulty of getting on a new campus will be used by God to make you a campus you could never otherwise be. But you have to treat each other white while you're doing it. Uh, uh, West, remember this. You will remember the experience of doing this together long after you forget the difficulties of doing it. When I think about everything we had to do to get from where we were to this campus, you know what I remember best? I remember the experiences of doing this with other awesome people. I remember the joy we had. I, I, remember, uh, I remember the excitement we had. I have fond memories of standing out here when this was just a field. The only thing was here was a field. And we'd stand out here in little circles and we'd just plead with God for a day just like today. It matters how you treat each other.
if we're going to uh, treat people well, we have to live the lifestyle of generosity. What does that mean? It's not enough to be generous. I can't be patronizing. Do you understand that? When we're generous with people, we can't be patronizing. We can't say, aren't you lucky to have people like us in your life? Church, that's patronizing. That is, uh, that, that's not the spirit of Christ. You got that? When we are generous, we have to do it with a loving heart. When we're generous, we can't be self-advertising. Uh, put a big neon sign over your head. Hey, look at me, I'm wonderful. Uh, that's not how it works. That is not how it works. I want you to know that in spite of the threat of recession and in spite of uh, inflation, we just had the best prime the pump offering we've ever had in the history of our church. And that's only because you're showing your love for God through generosity to people. I want to talk to us in the main campus. Sarah is our campus pastor, and she's organizing us to be influential in northeastern Ohio, in America, and around the world. She's organizing Love Week so that we get to go to people who need the love of God and are open to us showing them the love of God in a variety of ways. I pray to God you consider signing up for Love Week. I, th I pray to God you would consider just one project on Love Week where you give something of who you are to somebody you may not even know, and the only reason you do it is out of pure love for Jesus Christ. And this is the hard one for me. It's often easier for me to give money than time. Anybody else? It's a lot easier for me to take some money out of my account and give it than to, than to take hours out of my life and give it. But guess what? If we're going to be a genuinely generous church, that means we've got to give some time away. We got to be willing to give time to some other people. We got to be give, willing to give something that really cost us something because it's part of our expression of loving God by treating people right. Sometimes people don't need uh, 20 bucks. Sometimes they need, they, they need 20 minutes. Uh, I, I spent some uh, time last night after church with a, a good friend of mine who's just had a, a health diagnosis that wasn't good. Uh, all my friend needed was to sit with me a little bit and for us to pray together, church. Uh, that's all he really needed. Uh, you've got people in your life, they don't need your good advice, they don't need your direction, all they need is to have someone who cares to spend a few minutes with them and let them know that they care. Church. And that's part of treating people well. If we do everything else and we don't do that, we're not treating each other well. Sorry, I'm too busy for you. That doesn't work in the church.
Can you hear me? Main campus, we are a mother church. That means that uh, most of uh, the, that means that we have to be on the cutting edge of uh, the campuses we start. Most of the people who go start a new campus, they have to come from here. You get it? The training that you're probably going to get to go to a new campus, you're probably going to get here. If we're going to be a mother church, we have to be absolutely committed to taking care of our children. And that means being a blessing to every campus we can bless. This is what, this is what I'm going to say. If you come to this church and you have not been able to find any place to serve that is meaningful for you, I want you to consider going to Old Brooklyn or West or, or Heights. I want everyone in this congregation to have a moment where you say, if I'm not, if I'm not serving God here, is it possible that I should go try and serve at another campus? Because that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I desperately want to be on Christ's team, and I'm willing to keep trying other teams till I find my sweet spot. Church? People don't need a Rehoboam church. There are already too many of them. Can you hear me? You can get in your car and go to a lot of churches today where you will not be treated well. That base is full. There need to be less Rehoboam churches and more Christ churches. What is a Christ church? A Christ church is a church that hears Jesus say in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will you know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world has enough harsh churches. The world has enough churches where you can be judged, you can be shamed, you can be ignored and marginalized. We don't need any more of those. What the world desperately needs are Christ churches. Churches where the love of Jesus Christ compels us to treat each other well. I'm going to talk to the staff, all the staff of Christ Church. I know you have challenging moments, and I know you have pressure on you, and I know sometimes you feel like you're not being treated fairly. But I want to remind you, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Staff, we are responsible always, always, always by the love of Jesus Christ to speak to the people that God puts in our lives in the most compelling and, and, and Christ-like way that we can. This is what I'm asking all of our campuses. I'm asking that you reconsider partnering with Christ Church so we can fulfill the purpose that God has given us. We have a dream of being a century church. We have a dream of doing so many things right in this generation that 100 years from now, people will still be experiencing the investment we made and, and the church will be thriving because of the example and the model and the culture we created. 
That's our ambition. And I'm asking you if you'll seek God in a new way. I'm asking God, I'm asking you if you would reconsider the place of God in your life. I'm asking you today, as the Holy Spirit moves across these campuses and across our online church, that you would say to God, I hear your call. And by your grace, I'm going to find a new way to show my love for you by treating people the way you want them to be treated. Our dear Heavenly Father, my hope is in you. I know that only your Holy Spirit can change lives. I know that only your Holy Spirit can convince people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I know that only your Holy Spirit can move people to rework their schedule so they can be part of what you're doing in the world. And I'm praying this morning that one more time, as you have done so often in our past, your spirit would blow by our hearts and we would say to you, here am I, Lord, send me.